listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Welcome here. So good to have all of you here. But we are in 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 22. So it's a little bit of a longer text. It is a story. It is a narrative story. So it's kind of fun to to read sometimes narrative stories. We are going to go through a topical summer, as you see on this. But let me uh, read through the text, and then I'll explain a little bit more of what this summer is going to look like. Uh, if you would like to rise with me, this is going to be a little bit of a longer text, but sometimes when we're standing, uh, we can follow along a little bit better. But this is a story, and it reads like a story, so follow along with me. You'll see it on the screen. First Chronicles 29, 1 through 22. It says this, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, My son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God. So far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onks and stones, for setting antimony, colored stones, and all, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen Gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver. 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehul the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. 
Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. On the next day, offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. This is the word of God. Let's remain standing and pray. Uh, Jesus, before we walk into this amazing text, this story of David and the assembly of his kingdom that you provided for him, the recognition that it is all yours in the first place. Lord, help us recognize that all things are yours in our kingdoms and the things that we possess. They're actually yours. So help us, Lord, give with an open, right motivation of the heart that we might bless your name, that we might be about you and your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you'll soften and awaken our hearts to this amazing story and what we can learn and glean from it this morning. Help us, Jesus, in your, pray, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. Well, welcome. This is the gathered church of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Like, think on that for a moment. Right, kids? This is the gathered church of the kingdom of kings and Lord of lords. It's amazing. When you think about that and you ponder that, this is, this is a, an amazing assembly of God's kingdom here on this earth. We are, we are servants of a king, a, a lasting king an eternal kingdom. Like, where else would you want to be? Well, this summer, we will be jumping around a bit in the scripture. We will always want to go to the text of scripture to preach it here at the shore. And we're going to be jumping around, and and I named it the topical summer, just dropped the R as a tropical summer. So maybe we should all don shorts and Hawaiian shirts. I don't know. But this is going to be a topical summer from June all the way through the end of August. Then we're going to jump back into our mission statement of making Jesus known and then our core values, evangelism, discipleship, and community. And then we're going to jump into one of my favorite books, Hebrews, book of Hebrews. So so you can begin to pre-read through that and get excited of what is going to happen here in the in the summer, and you're not only going to hear from me, but you're going to hear from others that have come and join and, and teach what God has put on their heart 
here at the Shore Church. And so we're excited. I'm excited for what is going to take place here at the Shore and, and, and where we're going and how we can better kind of minister to the body of believers and also minister to our communities here on the North Shore. Well, let's jump into 1 Chronicles 29. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles at the back, but it's really important to have in your hand and open up the story and look through the, the text where I'm preaching. Uh, but the book of Chronicles, just a really quick summary of this, because it's kind of hard to jump into a story like this. But uh, the book of Chronicles is, as you know, it says 1 Chronicles in your Bibles and 2 Chronicles. It's actually one book, one big book, one big uh, book written to the church. It's overseeing all the kingdoms or all the kingship and, uh, within. And it's got two main themes within this amazing book. And the two themes are that over and over you see the, this, this coming messianic kingship, this coming messianic king, and also the rebuilding of the temple. Two main themes in the book of Chronicles. So the coming messianic king and the the rebuilding of the temple. In our text, we are at the end of David's life, and he is giving and leading the charge for the rebuilding of the temple. And he is charging his son and the people of God to be faithful to their faithful God, which will bring joy. He's lived this out. He's written most of the Psalms we see in the scripture, and he's lived this out. He realizes that ultimate joy, true joy is found in the Lord. And when the and and this is it, this is it right like our end result not the end purpose our end result is joy when we have our end purpose is God so our end purpose is to honor and glorify our King of Kings and Lord of Lords the end result of that will be true joy this is what it takes place so joy can never be the end purpose oftentimes. We put joy at the end of there. I want true happiness. I actually know a family uh, friend of ours uh, divorced his wife, left his three children and grandkid, and said, if by the age of 50 I'm not happy, I don't have joy, then I'm leaving and to go and seek joy. His end purpose was joy, and it left in devastation. When our end purpose is God, it results in joy, the very thing he was looking for. So really important to understand that. So joy can never be the end purpose. God must be the end point in order to find true joy. So part of the journey of making God ultimate is joyfully giving to him what he already owns. And this is what the text is bringing us to this morning. So our outline this morning is this, joyfully giving. It's kind of the heading that I called this text of scripture. And the three points under it, giving is a matter of the heart. Giving begins when you understand what you have been given. And giving produces joy. So number one, again, looking at verse five, giving is a matter of the heart. Verse five again says this, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? Like there's a lot behind this question from David. Remember in verse one, he's talking to the assembly of God. The whole assembly of the, the people there are listening to the king speak. And he's going, who then now? will consecrate themselves to the Lord? It's such a great question. See, the question from David assumes a willingness there. there. Who then will offer willingly? There's an assumption of willingness. And it also assumes surrender to the greater in the relationship between you and God. 
right? Who are consecrate himself today to the Lord. There's a, there's a, there's a fear of God here. And, and to, to make it really clear for all of us, between you and God, who's the greater as God is every single time. So who will consecrate himself to the Lord? Let's, let's call this a proper fear of God. I want to surrender to the Lord because I realize who he is. So my whole goal and purpose is now to serve him. And this is in this question. So giving is a matter of the heart. So giving from the heart is threefold that I've laid out for us. And it, it's more as well, but I'll give you three points. But giving comes with a willingness. So giving comes with a willingness a fear of God, and a surrender that there is Lord, a king above me. So these are our three sub-points for this morning under point number one. But like I said, we don't know what the heart's motivation is until it's actually challenged. Like, think long and hard on this. Do we know the heart's motivation if nothing in you is ever challenged? It's going to be hard to see the heart motivation if you're never challenged. That's why suffering is from front to back in the Scripture. God is constantly testing us. See, David challenged the people and they responded very well in this. See, challenge not only, not always, but most often will reveal the heart. And David, like I said, challenged the people and they responded very well. But let's think for a moment as the church. When you are challenged, how do you respond? Like when you are challenged, how do you respond? And I asked myself the same question I'm asking you. And I'd say there's probably a few options, quite a few actually. Here are a few. One, might, one way might be complacency. When you're challenged, you might just settle in your comfort. You might just sit there and not respond to the challenge at all. Another might be with bitterness to be asked to respond. Another might be with anger. Another might be with sorrow, regret, condemnation, guilt, fear. These are all responses that I've seen, not only in others, but also within me. There's all kinds of different challenges. And when they they come upon you, how are we responding in them? That will reveal the heart motivation as you direct to one way or another. When challenged in that process, you will see the reason why you're doing what you're doing. See, the more I thought about this, the more responses came to mind in my own life, as well as what I have heard in the past and present, even here at the church. And are we going to be a people that perseveres and endures, or be a people that runs away? Like when challenged. We have challenges all the time. They come at us different ways. And so are we going to be ones that run away, or are we going to be ones that endure and press in and move forward and seek the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? And this is a challenge for all of us. See, if we're in this, again, our response to challenge will reveal what we believe in at our heart. And, and if we are feeling condemned, we might be believing something about ourselves or another that is completely false. See, condemnation is not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord at all. Condemnation is actually not from God at all. It it fosters division. When feeling condemned, it is actually an emotion that Satan will use to bring division between you and another. This is what condemnation does. And we see this in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. You can read it on your own. But basically, this is Jesus who condemns sin. It's Jesus who condemns it. 
in this text, Jesus condemns sin. He brings the condemnation upon sin. So if you are withholding and besetting sin and you don't want to let it go, you're being condemned by Jesus. He condemns sin. And if you're holding on to that sin, then you are feeling that condemnation. And this is exactly the gospel. We are called to let go, to walk in the spirit, which the, all of Romans 8 talks of. Walk in the spirit. Be freed from that. Those who are in Christ Jesus have no more condemnation for they're in Christ Jesus. They've let go of it. So now there is nothing there to be condemned on. So the beauty of it, when you're feeling condemnation, maybe, it's, maybe, maybe, maybe it's just you holding on to besetting sin. Have we let it go? Have we confessed and repented of these things? So when, when, when feeling condemned, like I said, it's an emotion that Satan will use to bring division between you and another. So Jesus condemns sin and those in Christ have no condemnation because we are freed from our sins. So are we as a church willing with freedom or are we still being moved by wrong motives of the heart when it comes to joyfully giving of ourselves? Like, are we joyfully giving of ourselves with freedom? The freedom of what David is explaining here in this context of Scripture. Are you willing to consecrate yourself to the Lord? Do you recognize who He is? See, we as a church are called to be united in our love with a deep willingness to bless one another. This is the church. Like 1 Corinthians 13 unpacks it really well. It's Jesus' love. That's what it really is saying. This is how Jesus loves us. And we're to do the same. Over and over we see this in the scripture. Do likewise. See, willingness to bless one another. Do we have that? Or are we going through all those different emotions when challenged? See, my prayer is that we will be known for this. That we will be known for the love that we have for one another. In church, if we are known for giving with joy, what a sweet place that would be. If we're known as a church that gives faithfully and loving towards one another, not just financially, but of ourselves, that's a sweet place to be a part of. So secondly, in this question, we see fear of God. So there's a willingness and now a fear of God. Giving from the heart level will reveal your love and devotion to God. You will freely give because you realize it is he that you are to fear, not man. In the book of Acts chapter 5, it's so cool reading through the scripture. Like I can't encourage you enough. Be reading the scripture daily because, man, the connections are incredible. And again, I was reading through the book of Acts right now. But in the book of Acts, chapter 5, we see this played out in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They had lied about selling some property and said they were going to give to the church that money that they received, and they both died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In Acts, chapter 5, verse 11, we read, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these, heard of these things. See, giving from the heart must come with a willingness and also a fear of the one you commit your offering to. They committed their offering to God and then pulled it back. Ananias and Sapphira did not fear who they verbally committed to and they were killed for it. They were killed for it. And this type of fear births uprightness. When you truly fear the Lord, it births an upright standing. When you say something, you're going to do it. 
And we see this in our text in 1 Chronicles verses 17 and 18. Take a look on the screen. 17 and 18 says this, I know my God. It's a great line. Do we know God? I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you as well. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep them, Jesus. God, he said, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. What a prayer. What a prayer from a king. Recognizing it is God who keeps, it is God who directs. We are called to the uprightness part. See, the fear of God brings a desire for a life lived with uprightness and that you recognize it is God you are making a covenant with. And it doesn't stop at money, right? As I've said already, when you confess Jesus is Lord, that is your covenant to him. Like, think about this. Ananias and Sapphira said to God, I will give this, my alms, my gifts to you. And then they held it back. What happens to us when we confess Jesus as Lord, our God, and then hold back? Being choked out, like I said last week, by the thorns and the hard soil. What are we, what are we holding back? What are we, okay, I'm okay with this. This besetting sin, I don't want to let this go. See, the fear of God lets go of all these things. That you recognize that it is God you are making a covenant with. And it doesn't stop here. See, are we willing? Are, are we fulfilling our covenant? Are we seeking to honor Jesus with our entire lives? And Jesus, this is a command. Love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all your strength. That's a command from God. And love others as he has loved you. See, as Christians, we are called to live differently. We live to bring glory to our King. And it's so sweet. Giving is a matter of the heart. Through willingness, through fear, and thirdly, the surrender that there is a Lord, a King above me. See, in our text, David exemplifies this. David knows that his kingship will end. When you think about it. David knows he surrenders to a King. But he also knows that God's kingdom will never end. Again, I looked at the, I read this just the other day in Acts chapter 13, 36 through 37. It says this, For David, after he had served the purpose of God, sounds like he's got a king. He served the purpose of God in his own generation. He fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. This is him dying. But he, Jesus, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. See, David in 1 Chronicles 29 realizes he's at the end of his life and he is, he is doing anything possible to give glory to God in his kingdom, what he has been blessed with. He wants to serve his king with everything he's got because he realizes his kingship is going to die one day. But his, this messianic king, the one he serves, is eternal. So by way of example, David leads his people to the true king by giving to him. Look again at verse 3 of our text. 
says, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. See, the heart of man is and will also be moved by the example of another. This is David as the king giving, because he's calling them to give as well. So again, giving is a matter of the heart, a willingness, a a fear of God, which bursts uprightness for you and your children, and a surrender that there is a Lord, a king above me. This is the willingness of the heart. Secondly, the second point for this morning is giving begins when you understand what you have been given. Look again at verses 11 through 16. I highlighted some things on the, on the screen there just for all of us to recognize and see. It says this, this is David's prayer before the assembly. Remember, everybody's hearing this prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? What a question. Who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Amen. Everything is his. Everything is his. And this is not the first time someone says this within the scriptures and will not be the last time. I remind us as a church of this, we must live a constant, through a constant lens of looking through everything that we possess through the lens that it is God's that he allowed us to have. Everything, even the breath in our lungs is a gift. You take it and you give it. Hundreds of times. I, don't, I should have looked that up hundreds of times throughout the day. You're taking and giving back to the Lord the very breath that he gave you. Everything. And so kids, I want to speak to you for a second. I want to pause. Parents, listen up. Kids, listen up. This is for you, all right? This is one of those things, big theological terminology. Ask your mom and dad what theology means, all right? Mom and dad, listen up as well. I just said, okay, listen, kids. I just said nothing. You own nothing. All right? Nothing is yours. All right? Sometimes you think I have a room, but it's actually not yours. Sometimes you think the breath, the breath in your lungs is yours, but it's not yours. Sometimes you think the body you have is yours, but it's not yours. You own actually nothing. But let me clarify this. Okay, this is really important. You own one thing. One thing only. Do you have an answer for this? What is your one thing that you own? Oh, close. But you don't own God. God owns you. Right? What do you think? What do you think? Yes. Love. That's a good question. But that's a gift that we have been given from God that we can love other people. But that's a great answer. These kids are smart. Think about what is the one thing you own? Last one. 
Keep it going. You're, you're right on the dot here. Jesus Christ what? Died for what? Oh, back up. Died for what? Boom. Did you guys know this? The one thing we own, the only thing that we own is our sin. We've got some smart kids in this church. The one thing that you own, okay, listen up, guys. This is really important. The one thing that you own is your sin. And guess what? How sweet Jesus is. The very thing that you own, he wants to have from you. He wants you to give the very thing that you own back to him so that he can pay for it on the cross. Isn't that cool? Isn't that the sweetest thing ever? Jesus loves you so much that he came to take the very thing that you own so that he can pay for it in full. This is the goodness of the gospel. Yes, question. Well, again, that's a gift that has been given. We're seeing that in the text that we're reading. That's a good question. You're going to ask your dad after that one. I don't know about the 1,000 bubblegum packs. I didn't think about that one. All right, so are we following? Are we tracking with this? The very one thing that you own is the very thing that Jesus came for. And what, we, what do we do with it? We hold on to it. We don't want to give it up. But Jesus over and over again is saying, repent. Repent of what? The very thing you're holding on to. Give it to me so that I can pay for it. Because guess what? If you hold on to it, the wages of your sin is death. The wages of the things that you hold on to is death. And so if you don't give me that very thing that you're holding on to, then I have to pay you for it. And that is eternal death. So Jesus loves us. He is so sweet. He wants you to give over the very thing that you own. He owns everything else. But the sin of your heart, he wants to pay for. We have a sweet Lord. Giving is a matter of the heart. Is your heart transformed for the love of Jesus? Giving begins when you understand what you have been given. And thirdly, giving produces joy. And in that statement, giving produces joy. When you release that one sin that you own and hand it over to Christ, it's the greatest thing on earth. It's the greatest experience. It's a mysterious thing that takes place that you now become saved that your every sin is now paid for it's cleansed from all unrighteousness and what better joyous occasion is that so giving produces joy when you give back to the lord it produces joy and this is everywhere in scripture we see it in our text in verses 9 17 and again in verse 22 on the screen where it says and they ate and drank before the lord on that day when they gave to him with great gladness See, I'm currently in the book of Acts, as you've heard already in my devotion times. And this week, I I read chapter 10. And in chapter 10 of Acts, it's a story, a sweet, sweet story of a man named Cornelius, a centurion, a man that is overseeing many. And what stuck out to me in this chapter was the very things that stuck out in 1 Chronicles 29. See, Cornelius was a man that had devoted himself to devotion to the Lord prayer for the right heart motivation, giving generously, and the fear of God. 
And the same result happened here in Acts chapter 10. He had invited all his family and friends to hear the word of God. He invited an assembly to hear the good news of Jesus. And they were not disappointed. God, in fact, showed up miraculously by filling them with the Spirit. And everyone there confessed Jesus is their Lord, repented of their sin, and were baptized. What I found interesting was Cornelius' giving was mentioned two separate times within the story. It was so interesting. Take a look at Acts 10, 3 and 4. This is Cornelius' prayer. About the ninth hour, this is at noon of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I was shocked when I was reading this. God hears and sees the motivation of the heart of what you devote to him. The gifts that you give are not just a drop in the give box back there. God is seeing the motivation of your heart when you drop a gift in the gift box. God is seeing the motivation of your heart when you don't. God is seeing the motivation of your heart in an evil way if you're doing it in a, in a, in a, in a me kingdom way. God is seeing this thing and Cornelius here is giving his prayers and his alms and God comes to him and says, I see it. That is sweet. God hears and sees the motivation of the heart of what you devote to him. Church, giving is a gift to us, to give to another. But in a mysterious way, it is heard and seen by God and will give back to the giver. And the gift that gives back is joy. It's the result of the purpose. The purpose to surrender to Jesus and everything, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, everything to give to him. This is our purpose. And the result of that is with a right motivation. He sees it and he brings you joy. It's joy that God is a God that hears, notices and blesses his people with salvation, with eternal life. That is joy, friends. When we understand and see that stuff in the scripture, it's like, oh my goodness. God loves us so much when we faithfully give to him. When we faithfully give our lives over to him. And like I've said already, it's no different from the money financially. God knows your heart by what you give. God also knows your heart by what you confess to him. And he wants us to confess the very thing that we own. He wants, to confess, he wants us to confess our sin, to repent of our sin that we are holding on to, that we think in some weird way that this has given us some kind of value. And he's calling us to let it go. Give it to me, that I might pay for it in full, that you might receive the joy of the life in Jesus. So how does this story shape our giving this side of the cross? Because we're on this side of the cross, looking back at a story written by King David. See, Jesus is the better David. 
Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Messianic King in Chronicles. He's the one that's going to last eternally, and David saw this. Jesus' call on his people has grown from the pocketbook to the entirety of your personhood. Jesus also fulfilled the building of the temple. You, the ones that have confessed Jesus as Lord, you are the temple of God. Paul says this in Corinthians and many other places in the scripture. Do you not yet know that you are the temple of the living God? That he resides in you? See, we are now the temple filled by God to be a light to the world around us. So the two themes of Chronicles, the Messianic King and the building of the temple, both fulfilled in Christ. Man, the scripture is so sweet. So what application is for us? Well, as David called the assembly, who then will offer willingly, consecrated himself for the Lord? Jesus asked the same in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. They're both on the screen. It says this, If anyone would come after me, let him now deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I guess the question is, are we willing Are we willing to surrender our lives for the sake of God's kingdom? This is the joy, church. It's eternal life in Jesus. This is the gift of grace we will one day be welcomed into the family of God if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is our King. If you are here today that you don't know Jesus yet, believe upon Him. These things that we hold on to, you know, you know that they lead to destruction. And Jesus over and over and over again is telling us, telling you, give it over to me. He's pleading with you. He's come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He's come to pay the penalty that you deserve. So believe upon Jesus today. Kids, believe upon Jesus today. Confess Jesus as Lord. Take the gracious gift that he offers you. Give him your sin and be freed eternally, experiencing the result of making him the king and the result is joy. You're now free. No more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your message that you are everywhere in the scripture. Even when we go back to 1 Chronicles 29, we see you You are the messianic king. You are the eternal king. And you have come to bless your people, to take upon the sin that we are to give over to you, that you might pay it in full and then enter into us as your temple, that we might live out your commands and your statutes and your laws that you've given us for your namesake and your glory. So I pray for us as a church that we will be ones like this. In our culture today, that we will be faithful, bold, and courageous to live out our faith. To recognize it more and more as we read through the scripture, that we will see the goodness and the sweetness of you, Jesus. And I pray this in your powerful name. Amen.